There was a young lady who had walked through a park. She walked through this park many a time, but this particular time there was a person who had a little booth set up, a little tent, and he was taking pictures of people that they wanted a picture taken on themselves, and she kind of thought, well, I'll go ahead and do this. So she sat down and let this person take her, like, take her picture, and he took the picture and gave it to her right away, and she looked at the picture and said, this picture, you've done me no justice. This, this looks terrible. And the, the photographer said to her, he, says, he said, ma'am, it's not justice you need, it's mercy. <laughs> oh, how many times do we cry for justice when actually our cry should be for mercy? Last week we looked at a number of scriptures and we looked at a reason that many times we come against the devil, he doesn't go anywhere. He seems to stay around. Now, as we looked at Mark 11:22, let's read that. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. We focused in on the words there, but believes that those things he says. You must have faith, not just in the things that God says, but you must have faith in what you say. And the more that we recklessly say things and don't do them, we begin to disbelieve our own words. Just like we use the example of the children when you're walking through the Walmart, walking through the grocery store, and the mom or the dad is there with the child and the child is out of control, and they make the threat, if you don't, and they say whatever they want the child to do, if you don't do this, you will be grounded for a year. No dessert for you ever. Right? We'll say a lot of these, these kind of things. And we just don't, we, we don't mean that. And the child begins to realize that mom or dad are saying things to us and they won't carry them out. They won't do them. And if, if the child learns that, what happens to the child then when you begin to, to, to say things to them? They begin to disrespect what you... And you don't even believe that you're going to do it yourself. And it's the same thing that happens in the spiritual realm. So we need to start, when we say things, carrying it through. If you say, I'm going to... We use some examples. You know, if you were trying to lose weight or something like that. I'm not going to eat a piece of pie or a donut or a dessert or... That's close your ears for a minute. Ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> I close my ears. No chocolate milk. Yeah, that's just not right. Whatever it might be, you say, I'm not going to, instead of saying I'm not ever going to, we say things like, I'm not going to do this for the rest of today. I'm not going to do this for the next three days. I'm not going to do this for the next week. We say something that's doable. And after we get done that period, you can say it again. And then you can say it again. And then you can say it again. And you have, a, you have strung together victories Instead of saying something that you can never overcome. You can never, how, can you, how can you know that you have done it if you say, I will never eat another donut? Well, until you die, that statement won't ever be true. So we've got to be careful with some of those things that we say. And put some, some time limits on it. And what you, what you want to do. If you have a habit that you're trying to get rid of. 
Don't declare, I'm not going to do it ever. Make a declaration, I'm not going to do it for today. I'm not going to do it for a week. If you're trying to quit smoking, I'm not going to smoke for the next week. That's a hard thing right there. Just do it for a week. After that week, make the decision again. I like that week. I'm going to make the decision now. I'm not going to smoke for the next week, whatever it might be. But now let's go on and take a look at the other things that he says. He says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your, heaven, that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And we see that forgiveness is brought into his teaching here on prayer. When the things that we would ask for, forgiveness is brought in. If Jesus is going to bring this in, in the very paragraph, in the very text, context of what he's speaking, doesn't this have to do with us receiving things? Doesn't this have to do with us having the things that we say? Now let's take a look at the submission of Jesus here. In John chapter 5, verse 19, But Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing alone. The Son does only what He sees the Father doing, because the Son does not or does whatever the Father does. What's the Son do? Whatever the Father does. The Son does what the Father does. Let's look at it again. The Son does only what He sees the Father doing. So the first thing is, the Father is doing these things. The second thing is, the Son sees the Father doing them, and then He does them. That's real huge for us to know. Everything that Jesus did on this earth, he saw the Father doing. Look at it again. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing alone. The Son does only what he sees the Father doing. So if he has not seen the Father do it, does the Son do it? No, there's no exception here, is there? If he sees the Father do it, he does it. The Father loves the Son and shows the Son all the things He Himself does. Because of the relationship that the Father and Son have, the Father loves the Son. If the Father wants the Son to do it, the Father shows Him doing it. You know, we have the same kind of thing with our kids when they're growing up. They see us do things and then what do they go out there and do? They go out there and they imitate. How many sons watch their father shave? And then what do they want to go do? Shave. Yeah. How many people have given them a plastic bladed razor blade? No, no real stuff in there because we don't want them to get cut. And they just, you put the shaving cream on and they just kind of scrape it. They feel like they're, they're doing, why are they doing that? Because they saw the father do it. And then they begin to, to want to do that. Same thing. If mom is, is doing something, what happens to the, I mean, not, not just daughters, what happens to the sons? Don't they, they see mom doing that? And what do they want to do? Our little granddaughter, her, her words are, I help. Right? And they're, they're tremendous help at two years old. But who would turn them down? You bring them up there, you sit them there on the counter, and you let them get their hands in there, and you let them do things, because as they see you do it, they go out and do it. Now that's good for the, the good things, but it's also true of the bad things, isn't it? The bad habits that you do, you, you pass on to, to, to other people. 
You know, there, there are folks that like to get out there and they talk about generational curses. And every once in a while we bring this up here in church. I, I do not believe in generational curses. If you do, it's fine that you're wrong until you get to heaven. <coughs> I'm perfectly okay with it. Don't come to me and try and correct me in this because you won't win. Now, I know I sound real dogmatic and real firm on that, but there's a reason for it. I won't get into all the reasons of it now. If you do believe in it, it will hinder your walk with God. You may not know all the reasons why, but it will hinder your walk with God. They're, they're, they're wrong. They're not in the Bible. How many say, well, yeah, well, I know a verse. Sure, I know that verse too. Just because you know that verse doesn't mean you understand it. How many have ever talked about that verse? That uh, God will withhold, the, what is it, judgment to the third and fourth generation? Yeah, that's a mercy verse, folks. That's not a generational curse verse. That means, and this is what's practiced in the Bible, that when the fathers, the fathers of Israel, fell into idolatry, how long did God withhold the judgment? Did he judge them right away? Didn't he hold it back? Why? Because he's a merciful God. He desires mercy. That's why. But see, if you believe that a curse follows you, then the devil has won. He can bind you up. Don't let him. How many curses did God free us from when Jesus was on the cross? Yeah. When you got born again, are you the same person? No. You became a new creature, didn't you? Jesus told the Pharisees that they were of their father, the devil. They thought they were of their father God. If you go from being of the father of the devil to the father God, which generational line are you in? <laughs> but you see, if the devil can get you to believe in something like generational curses, then he backdoors the belief that you're still under the evil one. Don't buy into that. It's super important that you don't. Won't get into all the details of it now. If that's something that's an issue for you, and, and now some folks, you talk to them about this and they're just closed. They're just, just as I'm closed to hear the other side, they're closed to the other side too. And that's, that's all right. You go on, you, you be the way that you are. That's, that's fine. You'll still get to heaven? That won't keep you out of heaven. Glory to God. There's a lot of things we don't believe. That, that, that won't keep us out of heaven. But it will keep you bound up here on the earth. I'd rather you not be, be bound up in that. But how is it that some things that the parents had falls upon the children? You see, what happens is a lot of times we interpret life experience or we, we interpret the Word through life experience instead of interpreting life experience through the Word. That's where we get into trouble. And so we see a situation. Well, their father had it. And their father had it. And they seem to have it. It must be passed down from generation. Well, a lot of times it's just passed down from generation because what we see, we do. And we carry on a lot of those, those same things. There was a story. I don't know if I related this to you uh, sometime, but it was a great story. Brother Keith Moore uh, told the story when we were listening. My wife and I were listening in the shop to him. Most of the time she's in the shop with me. I put Brother Keith on because of all the folks that I have on my, my podcast. He's my favorite. I thoroughly enjoy him. So we put him on there. And we were listening to his, his story. He was, um, his grandfather died of a gunshot. Somebody shot him, uh, I think, at age 21. And his father died of a gunshot at age 21. 
Now, this was passed on to him, and they constantly told him, you look so much like your father. You look so much like your grandfather. And they talked about this curse that was upon their family and that he would probably die of a gunshot when he was 21 years old. Well, he got hold of the, the word before he, uh, before too long. It wasn't before he got 21 anyway. He believed that most of the time he was growing up, but somewhere around 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there, he got hold of the, the, the word that he was freed from this thing. And so he believed God that he was free, but he was driving a truck. Did I ever tell you this story? I didn't tell you this story? Oh, I should have. <laughs> he was driving a truck. And he was supposed to meet up with another truck driver at a particular truck stop. They were supposed to switch some things in the load and, and so forth. And so he, he showed up and the truck driver was there. And so he, he went up and he knocked on the door of the truck. Nobody answered the door. He knocked on the door again and nobody answered the door. So he got in his truck and he went someplace else. And I think he eventually came back. Or he saw them somehow. He saw him at a later time. And he said, hey, what happened to you? I was supposed to meet up with you. And you weren't, you were, your truck was there, but, uh, but you weren't. I went up and I knocked on the door. He said, that was you? He says, yeah, we were supposed to meet at, I don't know, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. I knocked on the door and you didn't answer. He said, oh, man. He said, I was high. He was, he was uh, using something that he shouldn't have been using. He said, I was high and I just was freaked out. I was sitting on the, bot, on the floor of the truck. I was scared. I thought you were coming to get me. And I had my gun pointed at the door. And if you opened that door, I would have shot you. <laughs> you know how old he was when that happened? He was 21. Now, is that a generational curse? No, it's a person who found out. I'm not bound to those kind of things, but someone kept telling him all his life. Now, see, people have been telling you all your life. Your, your dad had cancer. Your grandfather had cancer. You'll probably have cancer. Yeah, stand against that. Well, this disease is hereditary. You get it through genetics. Did Jesus not die for heretical or, 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 or uh, uh, genes? Are, are genes more powerful than God? No. no. It's not at all. But if you accept it, you will die. Don't accept it. Stand up against it. I tell you, this stuff is important. It's, it's not important that you explain how life is going on. It's important that you know how the Word of God is and form your life around it. That's more important. Don't let the enemy get hold of you on this. It's, it's not good. There was a, a church I was in. I was the assistant pastor. Now, if I'm the assistant pastor, I'm not the pastor, which means they follow a different vision than necessarily the one that I would want to go. And they followed a, a theme in this area. And they were bringing out some guest speakers for it. And uh, one of the board members who swallowed this type of teaching, hook, line, and sinker, everything, was really trying to push me. He says, you ought to really be out here for it. Now, as the assistant pastor, I wasn't there at all the special meetings because I was there at all the youth meetings. I was there at all the college meetings. I was there at all, so many different meetings. There were some meetings I just wasn't be there because I wasn't full-time. I was working outside. So they had this thing going on, and I told them I will not be here. I will not be here. Now, I didn't tell anybody in the church, I don't believe this, I don't like this, because they're, they're under another vision. You have to be submitted. But I didn't go. 
I made sure that I had other work to do, that I was out of town for the <laughs> job that I had or whatever it was, but I didn't, I didn't go to it, and that way it wasn't, uh, it wasn't an issue. But there's a lot of folks who believe this stuff. You've got to be careful because all it does is keep you in bondage. Now, you look at the people who teach this. You look at the people who practice this. Are they free? Most of those people are bound up with something. They've been bound up by it for years. If you want that, follow after what they're doing. If you don't, follow after what somebody else did. I say, I learned some of my stuff from Brother Hagin. He wasn't bound by these kind of things. I'd rather learn from someone like that. I'd rather learn from, from these people who got free of these things. But anyway, that's a whole nother, a whole nother issue. We're looking at this. Do the things that Jesus did. The people who teach this on uh, generational curses and things like that, there is no example of it in the Word of God. There is no example of generational curses. What there is an example of is that people fell into sin and taught their sons and their daughters how to sin. And then those sons and daughters sinned. And every once in a while, someone would come along and break that cycle. But not too often. It was a hard cycle to break, but some people did break it. But here, he's given us another example, another thing to look at, and this is unforgiveness. You can pass this off to your kids. If you are a person who harbors bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, you will teach your kids to do this. Because they will see you do it, and they will do it as well. You don't have to tell them to. They're just going to. But he said here, the son does only what he sees the father doing because the son does whatever the father does. So when he comes down here and the way that he demonstrates forgiveness is the way he saw the father do it. Right? What the problem comes in with the, with the church and forgiveness is we have brought in another example. Jesus gave us the example of how the father forgave. And Jesus forgave the same way that the Father did. How should you then forgive? The same way Jesus did. Because we saw Jesus, Jesus saw the Father. And Jesus does what the Father did, so we should do what Jesus did. But most Christians do not follow the pattern of forgiveness that Jesus has. They follow a different one, and some look at it as a higher pattern it is not if he doesn't do it then he didn't see his father do it if he didn't see the father do it if jesus isn't doing it are we submitted if we do something outside but the devil has sold us on a bill of goods and we believe that unless we do it such and such a way we are not in submission to god and by trying to get us into submission to god we fall out of submission and fall into submission to him. And that will hinder your authority over the devil. So let's take a look at what he, what he teaches here in, in these things. Well, we got another verse to get to before that. We see that Jesus does what the Father did. So take a look at some of these things he did. Jesus healed. So what did he see the Father do? He saw the Father heal. Jesus forgave. So what did he see the Father do? He saw the Father forgive. Jesus raised to life. So what did he see the Father do? Raised to life. Whatever 
Jesus did, he saw the Father do. Now look at this one, John, John chapter 12, verse 49. The things I taught were not from myself. The Father who sent me told me what to say and what to teach. And I know the, that eternal life comes from the Father's commands. So whatever I say is what the Father told me to say. What does Jesus say? Only what the Father says to say. Now, how many of you can stand there and say, I can't, but can you stand there and say that the only thing that has come out of our mouth is what the Father wants us to say? We have, well, when we do that, when we say things outside of that, are we not stepping outside of our area of submission? How many times have Christians said things like this? Well, I guess God is trying to teach me a lesson through sickness and disease. Has, have you ever heard the Father say that? Have you ever heard the Son say that? Then why are we saying it? Well, I just can't forgive that person for what they did. Did you ever hear the Father say that? Did you ever hear Jesus say that? And why are we saying it? Well, I just can't release that. Did we hear the Father say that? Did we ever hear Jesus say that? Folks, we are saying a lot of things about our walk and about our life that the Father never said and Jesus never said. We need to, we need to check up what's going on. What we ought to do here. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. You know this verse of Scripture very well. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now here's the thing that'll... You really got to get hold of this one. Have you ever been by someone who's a Christian, been a Christian for years, decades, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, served God in church every day of their life, but spoke things like, well, I just feel like I'm going to get, cancer's going to come upon me, then I'm going to die of the, they've said these things, and then they're on their deathbed, and good-meaning Christians have come along there and they have tried to pray them out of that death. Folks, you can't do it. And if you do, you're not walking in the understanding of the Word of God. You cannot unlock someone from a bond they put themselves under. Now look at Jesus. Every time that Jesus had somebody who was under a bondage of, of a disease, blindness, deafness, whatever it might be, what does he always ask them? What do you want me to do for you? Why does he say that? Because he's, he's, he's getting them to say with their mouth, I do not want to be under this bondage anymore. And once they say that and they release to him the authority to get in there and to work, then he does it. Now when you're dealing with little children, who does he turn to? Every single time he dealt with a young child, he dealt with the parents because they had the authority over the little one and he kept turning to them and talking to them. And they're the one who released that authority back. When, when Jairus heard the news, his daughter was dead, Jesus immediately turned to him because this is his key to be able to get in there and work is Jairus. Only, do not be afraid. Only believe. Stay on, stay on course. Don't get off course. Because if he got off course, where would Jesus be? He could still do it, but 
He could still raise people from the dead, but not in this situation because he, he would have taken it away. Now let's get over here to Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. <clears throat> Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now look at this. If your brother sins against you, first off, who is he teaching you forgiveness towards? Who would your brother be? A believer. He is not teaching you forgiveness principles to the world. He is teaching you forgiveness principles to your brethren. To the people who believe likewise. To the people who are in the family of God. The Word of God says, by Christians' love of everyone, they will know you. No, it's your love of the brethren. That's how. Are we called to love the entire world? <laughs> okay, let's follow the example again. Jesus only does what the Father does, right? If he sees the Father do it, what does Jesus say about those that he corrects? I chastise those whom I love. Would that mean that there are some people outside of that group? <laughs> All right, that's a little heavy for you all right now. <laughs> you can just, just stew on that and think about that for a little while, and then maybe down the road, you know, we'll, we're, I'm not sensing to get into all that just right now. We're, uh, you just, uh, just stew on that a little bit. So you'll mess up with some of your religious things, but, but the devil has gotten religion into our thinking instead of the Word. Does the Bible teach that God loves everyone? <laughs> Y'all thinking about this for a little while, aren't you? This is good. Think about this for, for, for a little bit. In the tribulation, who does God pour out his wrath upon? Those whom he loves? All right, that's enough for you, for you to think about. There's a whole lot more scripture I can give you on this thing, but we're not going to get into it. It's not in the direction we were going here. It's a, it's a whole other direction. We can, we can get into that another time. We're talking about a specific type of love that we are to have for the brethren. God loves us with an agape love, and we are to love one another with that agape love. If you take that love and love someone in the world with that love, it will not be received, nor will it function. Well, amen anyway. I know, you're still thinking about all this sort of stuff. Is this, is this just new stuff for you all? <laughs> all right. This is um, when, when God, God, God loved the whole world in a general sense and sent his son, right? But does he love the whole world the way he loves his children? Then what's the difference between that? There's a difference, right? You're not supposed to act, operate in hate to the world. But you are not supposed to operate to the world the same way that you do to the brethren. It's different. But the devil has got us into bondage because I think I have to love the world the same way I love the brethren. And I'm setting myself up to be hurt, abused, used. And things have happened and we even blame God for them. But God has not commanded that you love the world 
the way He has commanded us, you love the brethren. But we're on forgiveness here. So let's get on the forgiveness side again. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Now, there's four parts to this. It's real important that you see what's, what's going on with this, this. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, is he sinning against God? Potentially, yes, there could be something like that. But what we know about is that he, the brother, sister, or, or male or female, just the brethren, just to you know, understand general sense there. How many of you, someone in the body of Christ has sinned against you? Done something against you? You personally? This is what he's talking about. This is what he's, he's referring to. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If you determine that your brother is, has a fault, do you not have to make a judgment? Don't you have to judge that what they did was wrong? That they were at fault with something? Don't you? So is Jesus teaching you to judge? Absolutely. There are some things you are not to judge and some things you are. If your brother comes and sins against you, then you are to judge that. But the, perp- the, the direction that you go is to go, once you've made the judgment, not go to the other brethren in the, in the church, but to go to that one. If he hears you. How many have ever done this and they didn't hear you? Yeah. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, take a look at what is the purpose of you going to your brother? Is it to correct them? Read that verse again. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Do you see anything about correction in that verse? Then correction is not the goal. Is it? What is the goal? That you gain your brother. Because God knows it's not good that man should be alone. You need to have brothers and sisters around you. Ones that you love and trust and care for. So, the purpose of this is that you would gain your brother. If your brother comes and sins against you, is not the relationship at risk? And so what he says is go and correct them. But the purpose, or go, to, go and, and tell them their fault, but the purpose is not correction, the purpose is to gain them. How many times do we go and do this, but our purpose is correction? That's not the purpose. The purpose is to gain. Would that not change the way that you approach them? It is not your job to correct them. It is your job to gain them. Whose job is it to do the correcting? God. He'll do the correcting. They may not be ready for that correction just yet. You tell them what God has said, but identify the fault. You get the, the purpose is to gain them back. Father God, what do I have to do to gain them back? A lot of times we go into these kind of meetings, we go into these kind of times and get together with them for the purpose of I need to set them straight. And that's why we don't gain our brethren back. All right, that's the first step. You, pay, you go through that step. If they do not hear you, what should you do? 
But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now he's quoting a, a, a verse here that talks about witnesses. That means a wrong has been done, right? Should you just grab two or three people? No, you should grab two or three people who are witnesses to the wrong that happened. Not just bring two, two or three people that are uninvolved. If this thing ha- happened, bring some witnesses. You know, usually if somebody has wronged someone, it's not done in private. Get those other ones and talk to them. Maybe it might be that when you pull those two or three witnesses, they may say, you know what, you were the one who was wrong here. But whatever it might be, go and get two or three witnesses and then bring them all together and the other ones can say, look, we saw that you did this. That wasn't right the way that you did it. That just wasn't the way that it should be done. And if he refuses to hear them, so if you approached him about it, two or three witnesses have come in and they verified that this went on this way and they still, I'm still not listening. I'm still not hearing it. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, the church may not all be a witness here, and that verse of witnesses is not long, no longer brought in. The witnesses have already been brought in. The witnesses have already testified. We've already passed that stage. And this person has refused. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. If he is going to be to you like a heathen and a tax collector, is he a brethren? (laughs) He's not, is he? We've identified him as not a brethren. Therefore, you treat them as such. Can you see the process that's going on here? This process is to identify people in the church that are false. Because you as a believer... If you went through this procedure, could you make it to step four? (laughs) You'd turn around, wouldn't you? If somebody came to you and approached you with the purpose of gaining you, wouldn't that win most of you over? If that didn't, if they brought two or three people who witnessed the whole thing and they just kept it between the, the two, three, four people that are there, if they just brought in those folks and just, you know, and they said, look, you did it. And as we said, Jesus indicates these two, three people that there are witnesses. So this is the this is the part that we need to to go through. So that's the first thing that he does in identifying this this thing. And once he teaches this, this brings up some questions. Then Peter came to him and said, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times?" So Jesus brought up the idea here of sinning. Someone coming and sin against you. And so Peter says, well, how often should I do that? How often should I forgive them? If, if they have sinned against me and I've approached them and they say, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I did that. Forgive me. And then they do it again. 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 So Peter said, how often shall I do that? Shall I do it seven times? Now, can you think of anybody in the body of Christ that you have done this procedure for seven times? <laughs> so he's, he's going out on, the, on a limb here. 
Shall I do this up to seven times? And Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Let's flip this around. Jesus doesn't do except what he sees the Father do. Has the Father done this to brethren who have sinned against him? Did Jesus do this to brethren who sinned against him? Is there a limit on how many times we can go to the Father, we can go to Jesus and say, forgive me, I have sinned against you? No. We don't expect there to be a limit, right? As he does, so should we do. So Jesus says, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Just keep going. Now we may be saying this, I don't know, if somebody sinned against me that many times, I don't know if I have the capacity to forgive them that many times. Is God in you? Does God do this? Yes. If God is in you, and this is what God does, then guess what, folks? You have the capacity to do it. But not if you keep going around telling yourself you don't. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle accounts with his servants. This is the, text, the context for all this. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. By today's standards, it's millions of dollars. It's a whole, it's an insurmountable debt. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. Now this tells us a couple of things here. First off, he is not limiting this to the Jewish law. He is talking about this being done in the world system. Because under Jewish law, you could not sell the wife I don't think you could even sell the kids, but I, I know you couldn't sell the wife. Maybe you could sell the kids. There was a limit on what you could do. But in the world, there wasn't. You could sell everybody. For that, there was, that was done. Let's see. So he was going to make this, uh, he made this approach. If you had borrowed, let's just put the number down here at a million dollars. Let's say you owed somebody a million dollars today and they called you on it you were supposed to have paid it already but you hadn't yet you're overdue and they say i want the payment now if you had some of it left would you not offer some of it <laughs> if you had half of it left wouldn't you say here's half of it i'll get you the rest of it wouldn't you do it if you had a quarter of it left wouldn't you offer that so that tells us that this guy had zero he had nothing. He borrowed a million plus dollars and had nothing. How is he going to pay this back? There's no way. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Now this man probably had never seen a pattern of people forgiving a large debt like this. He may have seen a pattern of someone forgiving a small debt, but not a pattern of someone doing a, a great debt. So all he could do is what he has seen done. And that is, maybe they will extend me time. I could see that happening. 
But forgiving the debt, I, I can't even ask that because I've never even seen He has no expectation that would happen. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Well, that's... I mean, if you were this, you didn't have any expectation that he would forgive you this whole thing, and you had none of it, and you suddenly walked out of there debt-free. Would that, that feel good? I'm trying to put it down to this. What if you had your, your mortgage company sent you a letter and said, we have forgiven you all of the mortgage. You do not owe us any more money. It is all paid. How many of you could feel a release? You just feel, oh, man, that is so good. Yeah. For most of us, we would become probably more generous than we had before. And we'd want to share that joy with other people. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Small amount compared to what was there. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Same thing he said to the other one. That That didn't ring a bell with him. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Interesting that this man who owed so much money had loaned some money to other people. And this person couldn't pay him back. But as soon as he left the presence of the master who forgave him the multi-million dollar debt, he found someone. If you find someone, are you not looking you stumble upon someone that's different but he didn't say that but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii he went looking for him that's when you find something pay me what you owe me so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying have patience with me and i will pay you all and he would not but went and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt so when his fellow servants saw that he what had been done they were were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Well, if you just saw this guy got forgiven a huge debt and he went out and, and did this to someone else, you might be a little grieved too. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. Hmm. Now notice this. He says, you wicked servant. He did not call him a wicked servant when he owed him the multi-million dollar debt. He called him wicked when he would not forgive someone a smaller debt. Most of the time, folks, we have seen ourselves before the Father as wicked Because of the sin that we have. But in truth, folks, you are not wicked until you refuse to forgive the same way you have been forgiven. Remember, this is a parable. Jesus chose every word and every aspect of this story. And he tailored it to teach what he wanted to teach. The master does not call him wicked when he didn't pay. He called him wicked but he wouldn't follow his pattern. Look at what he calls, talks to him about. 
Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant in the same way? In other words, why aren't you following the same pattern I demonstrated for you? If I showed it to you, you could do it. The Father showed the pattern. Jesus followed the pattern. Jesus showed us the pattern, which means we can follow the pattern because it's been demonstrated, it's been shown, it's been done to us. Because it has been done to us, we can do it to others. And what he's telling us is what the Master has forgiven us is huge. What we need to forgive others is small. Remember, he started this out. If your brother sins against you. So because the first servant was forgiven. He should have been moved to continue. Follow that pattern. Now we've already gave you this part. He's called wicked. Not when he stood in debt. But when he was. When he stood as unforgiven. Unforgiving. You being in debt to God. Didn't make you wicked. You being unforgiving does. Now I put this in your. In your note here. In your outline, the servant would never have been able to forgive more debt than was already forgiven him. How much debt have we been forgiven? Great, insurmountable, more than we could ever come up with. Therefore, I can forgive as much as people do against me because of what has been forgiven already. Can you see that? How important forgiveness is. Brother Hagin used to teach us this all the time. He said all the time that Jesus ever taught about a hindrance in prayer, he only talked about one thing, unforgiveness. All the times that Jesus taught on prayer, he only taught one thing that was a hindrance to prayer, unforgiveness. When you stand praying, forgive that your prayers may not be hindered important folks we got to get a hold of this because we lose standing in our realm of authority when we do not forgive now did the first servant who was forgiven did he approach the second in a way that would gain his brother no he approached him in a way that he would gain the debt see the difference with that now is Jesus satisfied by the number of times we forgive no, he doesn't care how many times you forgive, just that every time that you are called upon, that you do it. But you are not, we have to understand the idea of forgiveness. Does God forgive the world who does not receive Jesus Christ? No. That's why they go to hell, right? Because they rejected Christ and there is no redemption for their sin. It was provided, it's there, but they don't accept it. If God does not forgive the world for their sin when they don't ask Him to, what pattern are you to follow? <laughs> Absolutely the same, folks. If someone in the world were to ask you forgiveness, you can go ahead and forgive them, but you've got to treat them as someone in the world, not as a, not as a brethren. You've got to understand that. There's difference, differences there. But if a brother, if someone in the church 
has sinned against you, how many times are you required to forgive them? As many times as they sin. As many times as they sin. And who is affected adversely before the Father if you don't? You are. So the reason that you forgive other people is actually selfish. (laughs) Because you'll do better if you do it. Now, how does God forgive people in the church? Listen to the words that I say before you, before you answer any of these kind of things. Just kind of sit there. Does he forgive us because we confess our sin? Does he forgive us because we ask for forgiveness? Or does he forgive us because we repent? Ha-ha. All right, now I see there's a difference in there. Is there not a difference between asking for forgiveness and repenting? There's a difference in that, right? Repent means to turn and to, I'm not going to do that. Even if we do it again, repentance is still, no, I will not do that. Repentance is what the Father looks for. The Pharisees confessed all the time. Did it help them? No, because they didn't repent. So when a believer comes to you, what should you look for? Repentance. If a believer comes and repents, what should you do? Forgive them. That's what we do. We forgive them. You don't need to ask. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. You forgive them. Because they repent. If they come and they sarcastically ask you, well, I guess you'll have to forgive me before. Would they approach God that way? What pattern do I follow? God's pattern. I got to know his pattern. What he required is what I should require. If I do not require what God requires, I'm not following his pattern. And I'm not in submission to God. I've submitted to something else. Well, it's so anyway. That's what we need to do. Now, here's the thing. Forgiveness for us, a lot of times, means something different. We've talked about this a few times. Forgiveness does not mean reinstating to a place of trust. Does God trust us after he forgives us? You're afraid to answer that one, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah. All right, look at it this way. When God puts, when he gives the parable of the talent, he gives different, different amounts to each one, right? Why does he give one ten, one five, and one one? Because the one with ten showed himself to be more trustworthy. They're all forgiven. But trust is earned. Why does God give certain gifts and certain revelations, and certain understanding of the Word of God to some people and not all? There's a trust factor that's there. Does God trust everyone in the church? No, but He loves them. (laughs) All right, look at it this way. 
you got a little one wandering around the house, whether it's your son or daughter, granddaughter, grandson, anything like that, two years old. And you have a very valuable but breakable item in the home. Do you trust your two-year-old with the breakable item? Do you love that one? Do you trust them with the breakable item? Why? I thought you loved them. (laughs) Have you ever had someone in the family who when they were two broke something that was very near and dear to you? When they're 25, do you still hold that against them? Why? You love them more now? No. They've earned a level of trust. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. But the enemy has corrupted the teaching so that we think trust and forgiveness are hand in hand. And he simply says to you, you don't trust them, therefore you haven't forgiven them. He's getting you to follow a different pattern. But the pattern of God is, he forgives all who asks. But those in the family are not all trusted to the same degree. They've shown some things. Well, we could really spend some time in that. You look at Jesus. When Jesus got to the point of the, of the cross, God could trust him with accomplishing. That was, that was a big thing to trust him with. Abraham was trusted with the child of promise. But didn't he, have, didn't he have to do some things? Didn't he have to get to a place? And finally he was able to be trusted with this? Do not get into condemnation because you don't trust a brother or sister because of the sin they did against you. But you can forgive them. But give them a way back. Would God give you a way back? Then you should give them a way back. Let them be able to, to build that trust up again. Let them be able to, to come, come back and to do some things. Now, how do you know if you've forgiven them? Trust is not the measure. Do you have bitter thoughts? You see, whether or not a brother or sister asks you for forgiveness... We must guard against bitterness. I'm not talking about anger. I'm talking about bitterness. Have you ever been angry at what a brother or sister did to someone else in the body of Christ? Yeah, join the club. Paul got angry. Jesus got angry. Jesus got mad and started throwing tables around. Whipping people. I mean, look how Paul prayed for people who were in the church. I prayed that they'd be Bodies be given over to destruction. <laughs> That's a good prayer, huh? We, we followed the wrong pattern, folks. We've adapted the wrong pattern. The pattern is the one God dis- displayed. If God doesn't do it, He doesn't expect us to. If God doesn't expect us to do it, but we're feeling that expectation, where did it come from? Someplace other than God. And I am falling into submission to something that is wrong. Now see how you should conduct yourself is whether people in the world or whether people in the, in the body of Christ, no matter how many times they wrong you, you walk bitterness free. You don't think about it. You don't stew on it. You don't sit there and say, oh, I can't wait till they get theirs. You don't mess with that at all. You just go on. If you see that person and caution flags go up, well, they should. 
They're not someone that can be trusted just yet. If they come to you and say, Brother Steve, I sinned against you. I didn't realize it, at first, but I realize it now, and I'm sorry. Well, I'm not, I've already guarded against bitterness, so forgiveness is easy. See, it's bitterness that will hold you back into the area of unforgiveness. If I never let bitterness get a hold of me, then when they come and ask me for forgiveness, it's a piece of cake. That's fine. Now we can start working on, on rebuilding that trust. If such a, such a direction is a, is a place to go. But just don't be bitter. Don't sit there and stew on it. Don't sit there and relive those things. Let them go. It's in the past. It's done. Now put this in your outline there for you. Forgive based on, first off, the pattern, how the Master forgave us, the principle, my actions impact me, and the purpose, which is to gain your brother. To gain your brother. Jesus taught that first thing. There was a principle that is there. No matter how many times your brother comes and sins against you, forgive him. Just be that way. Just, just forgive him. We've got to follow that, that principle that's there. He gave us four steps to go. If that person gets through all four steps, they are not a brethren. They're not a believer. And treat them as a heathen. Now, that doesn't mean that you, that you scoff at them, that you kick them, that you say nasty things about them. Is that how you treat the heathen? How do we treat the heathen? We intercede for them as lost people. The day we get born again. So treat them as that. Don't get angry. I mean, he's not giving you an open door to go be angry and bitter and nasty and so forth. Treat them like you do the heathen. How do you do the heathen? Well, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Father, I pray that they come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray for laborers to come into their path that they can hear and they receive from. But you've got to follow after the pattern that God has given us to follow. Not another. When we follow after another, we change whom we are submitted to and we become submitted to another. God's pattern of forgiveness, He's demonstrated. Jesus saw it. Jesus brought it down here and He demonstrated it for us. What He saw the Father do, He did. And we are to follow the exact same thing. So just keep thinking, how did Jesus forgive? How did he treat the Pharisees, the Sadducees? Are there people in my life that I should treat the same way? More than likely. Well, we got this idea that, well, Christians, we all need to be sweet and nice and always kind and just always smiling and just always saying nice things. Did Jesus always say nice things? Was Jesus always kind? Wasn't he stern sometimes? Wasn't he even harsh? Follow his pattern. Because there is not a single thing that Jesus said or did that he did not see the Father do and say. Not a single thing. That's why we study him. That's why we read the Gospels. That's why we look to these things. His he is the pattern I need to follow. You get your life free of unforgiveness, bitterness. Oh, I'll tell you what, it'll help you out. You can be bitter, get, get bitterness out of your life. Sickness and disease will go. Because where bitterness is, it can flourish. 
There's just physical, physiological things that people have said. Folks that are angry and bitter all the time, that their, the, 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 their body is different. And things can survive inside that body. They can't survive inside other people's bodies that are happy and joyful and smiling and at peace. and They just can't survive there. Because that's why God made it. Follow the pattern. Stay in submission to God. Don't fall, don't fall into submission to something else. If you don't see Jesus doing it, saying it, then maybe you shouldn't either. If you see Jesus doing it and saying it, then maybe there's some people in your life you need to do and say some of those things too. And not just the nice things Jesus did. You all have some people in your life you should be a whole lot more stern with than you are. <laughs> but you see, you feel differently towards them because they're so-and-so and because I love them, because I care for them. How many of you, if you had a Peter in your life who followed you around and did all kinds of things for you, helping you out, that when he spoke something untrue in your life and made you mindful of the things of man instead of the things of God that you would turn to him and say get behind me Satan would you do that well what about Jesus relatives when his uh, brothers and sisters are outside wanting to rebuke him did he go out there and let them do it he says no I'm not going out there standing here doing what God told me to do yeah watch Jesus Understand forgiveness from God's point of view, not from the world. And do not let the world put on you a pattern that God did not. Because you'll fall into submission to the world, fall into submission to the enemy, and fall out of submission to God. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil doesn't want you to be able to resist him. And he, first off, needs to get you to submit to something different. He doesn't care what, just so it's different. It can be a what seems to be a higher religious standard. It doesn't matter. It isn't what God said. What did God say to do? How did he demonstrate it? That's what we need to follow. Just stand up with me. Over to God. Father, we thank you that everything that Jesus did he saw, saw you do it. He heard you say it. And he spoke these things to us. I thank you, Father. We have such a great example in Jesus that we can follow. That you can help get at some of the religion that has come upon us that has prevented us from being fully submitted to everything that you have said to do. Father, our desire is to submit to you. Our desire is to love one another. The word says, love one another as I have loved you. We have the example. It's the example we are to follow. Not people's ideas or the world's ideas. Thank you, Father, that you help clear these things up for us so that we can know. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Go over to God. We got some praise reports, right? Do I have any other praise reports coming? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, I'll start with that's all right. I'll start with this one. This is from Jennifer. Praise God! I found a new job and start tomorrow, and it's only five minutes from her house. Praise God! Is it in the same field that you were in? Okay. Well, praise God! Well, we will pray for strength. <laughs> Amen. Praise God for His faithfulness there. 
And um, another praise report, Ethel said, I have no pain after the root canal that was done on Thursday. How many of you know they can be whew, something else? But praise God for her healing. Um, Phyllis has a praise report from her, her, about her mother-in-law. She lives in South Carolina. Thank you. Um, she was spared of the flood um, and the waters and damages uh, from that, and she is safe at home. Glory to God. Keep them coming. I like this. Um, Nick says, John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Um, at this church, I have been taught that we should praise like we already have it. I Amen. praise Jesus that I have passed my first nursing exam, that when asked, um, he allowed me to recall and remember everything that was asked of me. Praise God. We stand with you that that is done in Jesus' name. Okay, Roshan, um, I had first-hand experience with the wedding vow in sickness and in health. I am so thankful for Daryl and how well he has taken care of me these past few days, especially on Friday. And I'm so appreciative that against his better judgment, he allowed me to come to church today. <laughs> the children prayed for me, and I know... <clears throat> that one of the things I needed out of the mouth of babes, she says, I'm still believing and standing on Romans 8:37. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Praise God. Really? <laughs> okay. Um, Pastor Steve said I felt a headache and dizziness coming on me on Thursday. I rebuked it and it left in a short time. Praise God. Um, this is another one from Phyllis. How many of you got the message about her son? Okay, well, she says, praise God for quick EMT care, for great health insurance, hospital care, for, and our precious, priceless healer, Jesus. She says he's so faithful to us. Amen. Another praise report. Bobby is in total remission. She says, praise to God. Thank you for all of your prayers. <laughs> what a great bunch of people we have here. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Also, um, her neighbor Barbara that we had prayed for for a job, she has received it. Um, it was just a job that she had been looking for uh, for some months ago. Praise God. All right. Did I get everybody's praise reports? <coughs> Nick, any other praise reports? Um, do you want me to share that? Or no? yeah. oh. All right. Um, this actually, the Lord gave me this about three weeks ago during worship, and I wasn't sure when to share it, but it seems like it fits right here. It says that God in the form of the Holy Spirit in us is able to perform every word written in the word. The Spirit in us enables, empowers, enlightens, and encourages us. Every time we say anything contrary to his word, we are saying he isn't able, and we enter into our enemy territory. God has given us, and this is, this is something that he's been pouring in me, so many, just so many situations. Um, every time we say something, just like the 12 spies, and that's where he keeps taking me back to is the 12 spies, 10 of them came back with a bad report, and what did he say about them? He called them evil. But the two that came back, they came back with the same words that he spoke. The very same words that he spoke. We are well able because he's given it to us. So every time something comes up in our lives, we should be quoting things from his word. With God, all things are possible. God is for us, and who can be against us? I thank my God who always leads me to triumph. By his stripes, I am healed. Because the Holy Spirit in me, and I think this is one we forget, the Holy Spirit in me quickens our mortal body. Amen. Mm -hmm. He's in there to do a job. And part of that is to quicken our mortal bodies. Amen. 
says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come to bring you life and that life more abundantly. How many times, like Pastor said, we need to get more, and I hate to use the word stern, but in a sense it's stern. We need to get more stern with one another and remind ourselves it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit that we remind ourselves that the things that come out of our mouths, guess what? They are power and they are life. What does that mean? It means that they can cause things to happen around us. So if we're speaking negative, oh, my body this, oh, my body that, oh, my, and it's not yours unless you receive it. So if the enemy tries to put something on you, what do you do? No, the word of God says, and you put him on the run. Brother Keith, I just love how he teaches. He was talking about this, how the enemy always says, what are you going to do? 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 As if it's up to you anyway. But it is in a sense, but what are you going to do? He says, instead, remind the enemy, what are you going to (laughs) do? You know, the end of the story has already been written. You're going to be cast in the lake of fire, bound up, and but so what are you going to do? You know, my story's already been written. I'm in the Lamb's book of life. Glory to God. I'm headed that way. So what are you going to do? If God be for us, who can be against us? Start speaking the word of God. There's more that he shared with me about that with regards to speaking. The more we speak the word of God, the more effect it has on our minds, the more effect it has on our faith, on our spirit. The more we speak it, the more it will come to pass in our lives. We have to stop agreeing with the enemy we have to get out of that territory of darkness and walk in the light amen we serve a good god amen